0: Welcome to Brute Facts tonight. I have a special guest, Dr. Robert Price. He is a double PhD in systematic theology and theological studies. He is a fun guy. I have watched uh, a lot of his interviews, and he guests on, a lot on Myth Vision. And he is fun to have a, have around. I guarantee you're going to love this show. Welcome Dr. Price. How are you doing? Oh,
1: doing great. How about yourself?
0: Oh, I'm making it uh I think after kind of uh, rescheduling a couple of times with you and I both, uh we finally made this thing happen. So mm. Uh tell us a little bit about yourself, uh kind of what you like to do for fun these days?
1: Uh well, um I'm I find uh, being uh, grossly overcommitted is lots of fun. Um, I'm uh, editing uh, various fiction anthologies and periodicals. I, I uh, edit uh, the Lovecraft uh, oriented uh, publication, Crypt of Cthulhu, and another uh, more general horror fiction uh, magazine, Eldritch Tales. And then there's the uh, scholarly Journal of Higher Criticism. Uh, And that's, uh, there are more of those than uh, the others these days. Um, I uh, am editing, I'm bringing to a conclusion a series of uh, Lovecraftian fiction anthologies I've been working on for uh, 30 years, I guess. Uh, Wow. And, um, oh, let's see, I'm writing uh, books on uh, the Bible and theology. I'm just proofing uh, the. text of um, my uh, book, Judaizing Jesus. I hope to finish that up this evening and send it back to the publisher and uh, planning on uh, doing a whole bunch of research for another book uh, called uh, The Christ Myth and Gospel Christology. And oh, what else? Uh, my wife, Carol, and I are uh, reviving our old discussion group, Heretics Anonymous, uh, as uh, as a video thing that with uh, Derek's help. And we've done a couple of them so far and they're going to post them very soon and uh, i'm thinking of offering some courses online and uh, i have a feeling i'm forgetting other stuff uh but uh, I'm also customizing <laughs> action figures naturally and, uh, and uh, so I'm are, having a great old time you are a busy man that's uh
0: <laughs> no wonder you got two phd's you can't sit still <laughs> <laughs> that's uh so how you you were born jackson mississippi yeah uh, i'm from memphis so um, i'm well acquainted and then you moved to new jersey um how well how did you end up as a well you were a baptist minister right yeah okay um so how long were you
1: a minister for uh, officially, uh, for about six years, uh, I pastored uh, First Baptist Church of Montclair, New Jersey, where Harry Emerson Fosdick, decades before, had his first pastorate, and uh, then uh, that sort of uh, fell apart, uh, and uh, we, the the church had like something like 800 uh, members way back in the 20s when Fosdick was around. But over the decades, it had uh, uh, gradually bled down to a few hundred. And by the time I came, there were, uh, there was just a very small congregation that didn't even meet in the main sanctuary anymore. But I did uh, pastor there for uh, uh, six years and then after i left uh, that i uh, for another 6 i had an informal living room congregation and uh, that was really a lot of fun it, we had great discussions after my uh, sermon and um so i did that for for a good while but okay. one thing i get uh, one thing people get confused about me they think that when i since i was a baptist minister I was a, a fundamentalist. Well, actually, I was for, uh, oh, a dozen years, beginning when I was 10 or 11 years old. But by the time I sought ordination, I, I had already gone to the left uh uh, end of the theological spectrum, and was a big fan of uh, Rudolf Bultmann and um, Paul Tillich and others, and um, so I, I had uh, no. Lo- I was no longer orthodox in any way, though I continued to respect that tradition and still do now. Uh, but people. Seemed to picture me as, you know, fundamentalist one day and then whammo. uh, I had the reverse Damascus Road experience, but that wasn't really the case. I I was, you know, very uh, unorthodox. Um, But I found an interesting thing that uh, that in no way hampered preaching because I figure, what are you going to say in a sermon? Are you going to give people a theology lesson? uh are you going to do an exegetical exposition i I don't think so i mean i had study groups on the side and so on but uh people want motivation and uh, insight and so forth and uh similarly i found in counseling and and visiting people in the hospital uh people were not desperate for theoretical stuff they they wanted a listening ear and some perspective and advice uh and so um I wasn't an evangelical anymore, but didn't really need to be, nor did I try to uh, counsel them on based on uh, demythologizing and so on. What what is the point of that? In fact, I would say the same for any Orthodox uh, like Calvinist or Arminian. I doubt if they want you to stand up there in the pulpit and and give them theology lessons, maybe I'm wrong. Uh, But if it's just going to be cheerleading for your team, what's the point? Right. And uh, I didn't see any need to do that. I just uh, preached what I could and would seem to be helpful to people.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Boltman. He was the German kind of skeptic, um, kind of a demythologizing de-mytholo- uh, mm-hmm. Christianity kind of thing with the miracles and things. Uh, I, yeah, I've read some of his stuff. He was he was a pretty smart guy. That's mm-hmm. for sure. And I think the fundamentalist thing is you know because fundamentalism has that effect on people, you know mm-hmm. it uh you go from this extreme black and white world and this you know idea of faith, it's like an epistemic position um mm-hmm. and you just accept things. I was kind of the opposite i uh I know what you mean about the the messages you know my family I went to a Southern Baptist when I was younger. And they loved the, um, what is it? Composite preaching, compository preaching, I think. Expository. Expository. There you mm-hmm. go. I wanted the meat. I wanted to, to to teach me and tell me. And it's funny you'd mentioned moving to the left early on. Uh, how many people get blamed for being a liberal Christian when you're really taking? Christ at his words, you know, you're, you're, you don't have this dogma. You don't have this, you know, cheerleading like you were talking about for your Mm. team. And everybody's like, Oh, well, he's just a liberal Christian, And it's like, no, I just, I'm going to love people. That's, you Mm. know, that that's why I started this show is to bring on a lot of my agnostic atheist friends. And because there's too many people out there that the church itself is harmed. So did you, What started to lead you down the road of the um, mythicism? I guess is it? Would you say that that what kind
1: of mythicism would you identify as? Well, I I finally came to the conclusion, which when I first heard of, of the idea, thought was crazy, uh, that uh, most likely there had been no historical Jesus. And I would have said what a lot of people still say, oh, that's like being a Holocaust denier and so forth. Uh, well, I know there was a Holocaust because my father, uh, Noel Price, was in Patton's Third Army when they uh, liberated the Dachau concentration camp. So I, I don't have any room for doubt on that. But uh, with the, with the Jesus question, it has to do with a bunch of interlocking. Uh, issues on how you weigh evidence and what sort of literature you're reading when you read the gospel narratives. Uh, are they more like parables or legends? Uh, they're all edifying. That's why any of them are still preserved. Um, but uh, it, it, all of these things made me question, you know, what am I really reading here? And uh, it was apologetics that drove me in this direction to begin with, because I thought, um, I read all these intervarsity Christian fellowship books and and other ones like Josh McDowell and so forth. And it mattered a great deal to me if you could uh, make a good case or even prove that oh yeah, Jesus existed. he he uh, the Gospels are eyewitness accounts. Jesus did miracles. He rose from the dead. He claimed he was God. And therefore, whatever he said goes. And uh, the more I got into that, I realized, you know, I can't just give a sales pitch. Uh, I can't just use any old argument unless I myself feel I would be convinced by it if I were on the other side. Right. Would this really seem cogent to me? Because if it won't, well, then I, I'm dishonest if I try to convince somebody else with it. And uh, so the more I got into all of that, verifying and proving Christianity, the, the more doubts assailed me, uh, partly because that approach, that of a, of a scholarly weighing and so on, is antithetical to the kind of faith that they considered a virtue. Like you, you're no longer believing by willpower, um, but you, you now have a, uh, Gone on to the uh, unstable ground of probabilistic argument, and and what are you going to do? Say, well, you know, it's uh, it's uh, highly probable that uh, Jesus was uh, raised from the dead, or uh, and, and that kind of thing. It, it, what, right. Did Jesus claim to be God? Well, depending on how you read it, uh, right. it, well, that's you know, they say the gospel is good news, not good views. Well, when you're getting into apologetics, you're making it into good views. And uh, once you do that, uh, you can't really help but notice that uh, they're not as good as you thought. And You can never make dogmatic claims based on, on weighing evidence and all that with something from 2,000 years ago. Yeah. And so the my whole stance changed, and I still thought there was a historical Jesus and, and that he said most of the stuff in the Gospels, but the closer I looked at that, my, my second PhD, by the way, was in New Testament. And so um, with that kind of scrutiny, I was surprised to find myself uh, less and less confident that any of this stuff was history or even intended to be history. Uh, And so I found myself at the odd, uh, the surprising crossroads um, where I had to decide, look, uh, evangelical faith led me to this consuming interest in understanding the Bible. But now I find I've either got to, I find it's not that simple anymore. So what am I gonna do? Stick with the creed or stick with the, the Bible? Uh, and study it in a way that makes sense. And uh, I never thought I'd come to that uh, dilemma, but I decided, well, I I just got to go with uh, the inquiry and the the study of it. And and that's the tragedy of biblical literalism, where I try to show this in a book I have coming out um, called... um, Uh, When Gospels Collide, uh, where I show that a whole bunch of contradictions that are well known uh, between one gospel and another. And I'm trying to show these contradictions are not stupid blunders by incompetent writers, nor is anybody trying to pull the wool over your eyes. They're complex uh, editing and redaction going on to reapply material and to make it speak with uh, a new voice, and and you can get much more out of it that way. Uh, but if you insist, oh no, no, it's all got to somehow be homogenized. You're cheating yourself and the Bible.
0: Yeah, I I actually agree completely. Mm. I think biblical literalism, uh, being you know literal about it, the way that a lot of Western evangelicals do. They're missing the deep uh, you know the, the, the deep theological messages that are there and me you know doing I've been studying a lot in second Temple Judaism and mm. uh, Jewish theology and metaphysics and I'm starting to to get, to garner a whole new kind of uh, message from the New Testament a lot of things that mm seem to be just, you know, the concept that we have about, you know, what certain things mean or say is just Mm -hmm. wrong. And then a Mm -hmm. lot of them, it's missing really the meat of what's there because we, Mm -hmm. it's got to be in a cultural context. You know, we Mm got to know who the people were. Um, Mm -hmm. So I had read somewhere that you at one time were, uh, I don't know if it was you, you they quoted or someone said it that you're a, a Christian atheist or
1: yeah, um, it, which has a kind of very specific meaning. Uh, I uh, derive that from Thomas Altizer's book, The Gospel of Christian Atheism, where he he sort of uh, takes off on Nietzsche's death of God that it's not just atheism. It's not that uh, you say there is no God, it's just a mistake, uh, but rather that God is dead. Uh, And what does that mean? Well, it it has a kind of postmodern reference saying there is no central bedrock of truth or meaning, meaning has to be in the eye of the beholder. But that is joyful knowledge. It's not. It's not a kind of nihilism of despair, uh-huh. and, um, and and it's uh, and the um, and Altizer shows how he interprets the crucifixion as God pouring out the sacred into the profane. So that the world itself, in an almost pantheistic way, mm-hmm. shows the uh, the divine if you have eyes to see it. It's it's much like the Mahayana Buddhist idea that uh, if you want to find Nirvana, it's mm-hmm. in samsara. You just have to snap out of it and see what's really there. And yeah. Um, yeah. and I, I find that I was like Spinoza. Some people said that he was an atheist and others said, no, he, he's God intoxicated. Well, how could it be both? Well, Spinoza said there indeed is no personal God, uh, that God must be the infinite. And you, you can't have what Francis Schaeffer said, an infinite personal God. It's a contradiction in terms. Uh, and that, so what is God? He said the the divine nature within everything, uh, there's not also some guy somewhere. And uh, it, the, the Christian atheism is sort of like that. There are differences, but it's it says that the, uh, it, it sees a dialectic of the sacred and the profane, m- much like Buddhism does. And right. plus, I, I, I love the symbols of Christianity. I love the Bible. I've often gone to church and loved the liturgy and all that. Uh, There's great, great beauty and profundity in it, even when I find I can no longer believe traditional doctrines, like the doctrine yeah. of the atonement makes no sense to me morally or any other way. Uh, it's not that I hate it. It's not that I sneer at it, but it seems to me incoherent. And yet I respect the tradition.
0: Yeah, so it seems like it's more... Uh more kind of pragmatic. Um, and I, in just like you, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm a probabilist in my epistemology and, you know, I'm not certain that God exists and I'm not certain that, you know, Christ is God, but I do like you were talking about, I love the beauty mm-hmm. of the literature Even if I stopped being a Christian tomorrow, I would still study the Bible because Mm. it's it it is we don't have anything else like the collection and you know spanning such a broad history and people. It's uh it came from an oral people who painted painted pictures with words, Mm. so it's it's so beautiful when we can step back and take off that you know fundamentalist literalist approach to it and look at what it is you know it's literature mm-hmm. we have to look mm-hmm. at the uh you know the the literary devices that are used and mm-hmm. and put it in the context of you know how they would have viewed these things so yeah i'm with you all the way on that that's um that's definitely a respectable uh approach to it. And I'm glad to hear that, uh, you know, that you do, because there's a lot of Christians who don't understand, you know, the amount of, uh, like you said, profundity that we can get from it. You know, even if you don't believe a lot of the things, there's still a lot, you know, just looking like in the Old Testament Proverbs. I mean, it may not have been God-breathed words, but there's a lot of good... Uh, wisdom in Proverbs. I think, you know, we can garner, you know, a lot of wisdom from uh, different things uh, that are there.
1: So, yeah, Yeah. like the whole nature of a proverb is it doesn't matter who said it. The thing is, uh, it's the kind of thing where it rings true and you say, wow, I never thought of that, but that's the way to live or that's the way to conduct yourself. It rings true. You don't have to take it on faith as if some prophet said, okay, okay, God wants you to walk on your hands every Thursday from one to three in the afternoon. Huh? Well, okay. Uh, Proverbs are not like that. It's like uh, uh, cast out the scorner and dissension will go out well, yeah, yeah. Uh, or a soft answer turneth away wrath. Son of a gun, that's right. Why? Why didn't I see that? Right. And that's the that's wisdom. It rings true. And if yeah. it doesn't, watch out, Jim Jones. Here we come.
0: Yeah, no doubt. That's uh, and that's one of the dangers. Is uh, you know, and, and I think that you know, even like with the Old Testament, it's it's extremely important so that we don't make a lot of the mistakes that Mm. were made we don't you know uh i mean look at what happened here in the u.s with you know chattel slavery they Mm. instead of looking at you know what was a black eye you know on the civilization and world economy uh instead of looking at it that way and progressing from it they took it as well it's in there and justified and Uh, So we can do it So uh, yeah, I'm with you I, I think that we need to Kind of approach it Historically as in What we can learn from it And the things that we Can learn not to do You know, from it So
1: You know, this occurs to me For the first time Hearing you say that You know how the crazy Cancel culture of today Which is for years I've said that this is like The cultural revolution in China uh, the the uh, PC social warrior types are just American versions of the Red Guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're trying to destroy the past to pretend it didn't exist, so they can start something else new. Wow. And so they want to take down uh, statues of, of Robert E. Lee and all that stuff. Uh, and it strikes me that the or uh, you know we we can't like lincoln because uh, he uh, wasn't his heart really wasn't in emancipation yeah. he just had to do it so he's no damn good at it. martin luther king he's not good enough and, and wait a minute wait a minute don't you realize that things look different in different eras of history right. uh, and and you naturally hope to progress and to see like What the heck were they doing back then? Well, now Mm -hmm. it's easier to to see what was wrong. And that's the way it is in the Bible. Like uh, these uh, village atheist type critics of the Bible won't give this a break. Uh, If you're dealing with a bunch of Bronze Age ethics, the surprising thing is the, the advances they did make at the time. Now, of course, the problem is they're stuck with this idea that it's all verbally inspired, and God told them everything. And then, oh, uh, I guess that means God commanded genocide and yeah. God uh, gave rules for slavery. Well, that's a, that ought to be a big clue that it's not inspired in that way. Uh, right. But if you, uh, I did an article once called "Is the Bible Mind Kampf? Because a lot of uh, skeptics and atheists and all that treat it as if it were, and that's absurd. And they're just the mirror image of what they were when they were fundamentalists. Yeah, uh, And uh, you just got to realize this is a human book that has a whole lot of good stuff to deliver and not surprisingly some retrograde stuff that uh, you would expect from the past.
0: Yeah, that's, it, it, you made two f- fantastic points there. Um, the first one is uh, about the inspiration of scripture it's a lot of people don't even realize that they're holding to some type of dictation method yeah. which is untenable mm-hmm. um god used you know it, it, if god is real and it is inspired it doesn't mean that god guided the hand of the people that were writing mm-hmm. they wrote within the context of the time and certain people they were writing to about certain, certain things. It doesn't mean it's applicable throughout all time. And that's, Mm. I mean, there are truths we can garner from it, Mm. but to say that, you know, scripture applies all scripture applies some kind of way to today is just nonsense. And that's Mm. how we end up with, you know, a lot of things that we justify uh, just in to the other point with the uh, looking at the, historical atrocities and and you know kind of making these outrageous you know claims about it it, it, that's why it's called anachronism that's why it's an anachronistic fallacy we can't sit here in our individualistic western culture and take just an english translation of thousands of year old material in different languages of a collectivist culture and we're going to all of a sudden know exactly what it means just because it's been translated to our language. And that's yeah. that's a point I try to make all the, even with Christians, I mean, Christians will do the same thing. You know, it's like, wait a minute, we need to step back and you, we need to try to figure out how the people would have received it, who they were talking to, what they would have got from it. And then the the last point on that was when you said the fundamentalist flip from one side to the other. And that's exactly, I Don't make a distinction between Christian fundamentalists and atheist fundamentalists, because that's exactly what happens. They go from one extreme to the next. And it's Mm -hmm. like they go from this faith of accepting everything
1: to now they won't accept anything. You know, it's it's, a matter of faith not to. Uh, uh, I once heard a guy at a. Secular humanist conference. He was, he had been, I think, a Swedish Pentecostal pastor, and now he was an atheist. And he said, What a liberating thing it was. He said, Now I can say freely, I hate God. And I thought to myself, Well, I thought you didn't believe in God. Uh, What's going on? Uh, (laughs) Pathetic.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, and a lot of that is you know, really, uh, a product of fundamentalism, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, indoctrination. I was, you know, a fundamentalist as a young child at this, you know, Southern Baptist church. And what mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I was never told, uh, you know, things to make me see everything as black and white, but the way that we were taught it was it's either this way or you're questioning God. Mm-hmm. It's either disinterpretation, because to be a liberal Christian or a progressive Christian was worse than being an atheist. So mm-hmm. they would throw it around as that's liberal doctrine, that's liberal preaching, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, you can't be part of the lukewarm church. They're the worst, you know, and it, it just all of these 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 false ideas and theologies that they kind of it, it's almost like an indoctrination or. Oh, yeah, it actually it is, is an indoctrination. And it's a hard mindset to break. You know, mm. being a former fundamentalist, I could not for a long time find the gray area. It was always A or B, black mm. or white. It was, and you, and you, I'm sure you know who he is, but the one who actually broke, helped me break that mindset was Hank Hanegraaff. Huh. I, I used to listen to Hank because I disagree with him. You know, and got challenged and challenged and challenged. Mm. And then finally, I was like, let me go back and look at this. You know, and then it all mm. just started to kind of like, <sighs> it just exploded, you know. Uh,
1: By the way, I must say about him, is is Hank still with us? I can't keep it straight anymore. Who Who is and who isn't? Yeah, yeah, he is.
0: Um, He got taken off the radio because it's a fundamentalist, bot radio is the one who used to play him. And they are fundamentalists. And he converted to Eastern Orthodoxy, and they yanked his oh. they yanked his church, his show. So he wow, doesn't all-
1: even know that. Uh, yeah. he, he and I were set up in a debate on uh, some uh, c- Christian. Well, what the heck was it called? Uh, uh, Lee Strobel, the Case for Christ guy. Oh, yeah had this, uh, this show, uh, and he had me and Hank debating over inerrancy, and I had tried to make clear, as an example, when, when we were talking about doing the, the show before it happened, I, I said that, um, uh, that uh, my approach to the Bible is Critical in a scholarly way, but I don't have these carping things like when people say, "Oh well, uh, Jesus said that the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, uh, and and it isn't." So uh, you know, so much for Jesus and and all that. And I said that's just ridiculous. Wow. Uh, and no matter what you think. Uh, of the Bible, if that's a problem, you got a bigger one. uh, But once they apparently tried to tell Hank, whom I had never met, that uh, I held that view. Uh, that I held this picky view and he brought it up and said, I'm told that you think this. And, and I told him, no, I'm sorry. You've been misinformed. I said, just the opposite. Well, he actually sent me a letter after that, apologizing as if he had anything to apologize for. Uh, I was just impressed. And then uh, he moderated a debate I had with James White a few years later. And I, By the way, I, I hear some people complain about James White, but I had a, I found him to be a commendable, broad-minded oh, okay. guy. I thoroughly enjoyed meeting him, and Hank was uh, the moderator of it, and I just felt this guy is great. I, I really had a, a lot of—I realized I was not in the theological ballpark uh, mm-hmm. he was in, but I was much impressed with him. Yeah, he's— it, his training was in
0: like uh mnemonics and like memory. That's what hmm. he went to school. He didn't even have formal training. Hmm. And, um, he, he really had a huge impact on my deconstruction. Cause I went through an entire deconstruction, ended up being kind of agnostic for a short while. Hmm. And, but he was one of the things that really stuck with me about him was he repeated over and over, uh, in the essentials, unity, non-essentials, mm. liberty, and in all things charity. Amen. He was, yeah. He was so loving. He no matter what fundamentalist called in and was, you know, mean or arrogant towards him, he handled every single one of them in a compassionate, loving way. Mm. And I was like, I want to be like that. Cause I mm. was the the jerk fundamentalist, you know, the hmm. I hate to say it. I was a young earth creationist. And hmm. I mean, I, I, I bit off half the apple. It was. <laughs> yeah. So, How are he, you
1: to know any different though? Uh, yeah. As, in that setting.
0: Right. And, but he is, uh, he does, uh, he, he does everything on, he has a YouTube channel and he does everything on there and he is battling cancer. Oh. Um, but he's just as gracious as he's always been, you know, hmm. I'd actually heard someone else say that about James White—that he was actually a pretty cool guy and decent. And I'm just like, I, I don't, I can't stand five point Calvinists as much. I, I have more patience for new atheists than I do five point <laughs> Calvinists. I just, and he
1: seems so arrogant sometimes. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I've only ever listened to a show where he was discussing me and my views trying to prepare his audience to see the debate between us. And I, he would quote my stuff and, and tried to fairly represent me. I mean, I wasn't even there. This was just a show. And I thought, how often? Do you see somebody do that? And when I did get together with him for the debate, it was just so pleasant. In fact, I afterwards said, uh, you know, we ought to get together for a regular show, a kind of point counterpoint show where we would share different views on different issues and then bring in people that that. who held uh, different views on it, and we would grill them like they used to do on one of these shows uh, right. uh, on politics. And he never had time to do that. Yeah. But uh, he was just uh, really uh, very friendly to me, and uh, we well, laughed. That's good, at stuff that's good to know. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: definitely. So, how when you started writing uh, about, say, i I like the I like the critical approach. I like. You know, I had uh Dr. Carrier on my show, and mm. you know, and I told him I'm probably one of the few Christians that likes Dr. Carrier because mm. one, I like uh uh Bayesian epistemology and he approaches you know historically with a Bayesian analysis. Uh, but he's it's a challenge. We you know, that's we can't be in echo chambers, we can't mm. just, you know, being a formal fundamentalist. I don't want to be you know, in a place where I'm not challenged, I, I don't, you know, I'm not seeking justification for what I believe, I'm just accepting what I believe. Um, so I thoroughly, you know, enjoyed his work. Uh, and I've read a, a little bit of your stuff, too. And, but when you started writing critically about that, and publicly, yeah. how, how were you received? I mean, was it by like, your peers were because I've, you know, you can find hit pieces on anybody, you know, and mm. scholarship, but, um, was
1: it kind of a friendly reception or? Well, um, I was never in any kind of prominent scholastic position. I, I was, uh, professor of religion at Mount Olive College, a small school here in North Carolina for for a few years before I went back to New Jersey to assume pastorate. Uh but uh this is sort of a podunk uh school uh and uh, and then I've been ai have I've had temporary teaching positions full time at like Drew University and Bergen Community College. I taught in seminaries and so on, but never with a real uh uh, classy, recognized sort of a birth. And um, I, I've been aware, like people like William Lane Craig uh, in debates will uh, cast me as as a bit of a nut and, and so forth, but I've become good friends with several of the people I've debated and like Greg Boyd and Bob Siegel and uh, I got along fine with them, uh, Gary Habermas, a great guy. Um, But In the Jesus Seminar, I think I was accorded some respect, though some of my views, especially on Paul, uh, were kind of laughed off by uh, some of the fellows of the seminar. But I I felt like I was pretty much accepted there. Most of the time, I don't get uh, feedback from professionals I know Craig Evans in some review of a book of mine dismissed me as a bitter ex fundamentalist, which shows he's not. I mean, that's just he <laughs> doesn't know anything. Yeah, that's. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's unfortunate. But yeah, uh, I agree. Uh, Bart Ehrman makes no secret of the fact that he he thinks mythicists are sort of kooks. But uh, when it when that's not the subject, uh, he he and I get along fine, and. Uh, we yeah. respect each other. And uh, so I, I have only bits and pieces yeah. to know what anybody out there thinks that's, of me.
0: But that's okay. Uh, that's yeah. You just do your thing and who cares? I mean, you. So you one
1: know, thing I <laughs> will say in all the debates I've done and uh, I'm, I'm not doing them really these days, but I did a whole mess of them a few years back. I virtually never had anybody get upset and try to to. Uh, fulminate against me. I have virtually never gotten any kind of uh, spiteful negative feedback on the Bible geek. Uh, even when I know most of the people are uh, standard Orthodox evangelicals, they, I have been just pleasantly amazed that in the question and answer period, people appear to be genuinely curious about things they have never heard before. And that is so encouraging because I'm not trying to convert them to anything. I right. don't care what they believe or don't. Uh, but I, I, it really says something good about these people. They'll oh, tell me more. Uh, and and that's it's just yeah. the opposite of what you might expect.
0: Right. Uh, hopefully that means the tide of fundamentalism's turning and people are actually using charity and trying to use mm. critical thinking. So uh, I hope mm. it's a positive sign. Uh, like you, like you just said, and you had mentioned earlier about the apologetics. Uh, I'm not a fan of apologetics. Um, Mm -hmm. I have spent, uh, most of my time in the philosophy of religion and I've Mm -hmm. said the very same thing that you said, I'm not trying to convert anybody. I don't care Mm -hmm. what they think. Now, if they ask me why Mm -hmm. I believe I'm, I will talk your ear off about it, you know, Mm -hmm. but I'm not gonna, I don't beat people over the head with the Bible. I don't. I don't think that evangelism, the way that it's done by Protestants in the West, is even what evangelism is. I think more of the evangelism in the Bible was for spreading the church at the time. You know, it's who in the U.S. hasn't heard about Jesus what yeah. am I going to what am I going to tell them that they yeah. don't know about Jesus? I mean, if you heard of
1: Jesus. Of course they yeah. Yeah. What do you think?
0: That's, <laughs> there's uh I, I'm pretty sure you probably don't get on TikTok, but there's this guy on TikTok who will it, it's the same guy's voice. And there's all these crazy videos that they'll do where one somebody's chasing a, a dog and the dogs are running for his life and he's like uh, chasing them. Please let me tell you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, <laughs> they'll do it with deer running and different things. Woo. And it's oh, it's fantastic because oh, I, I totally relate to that. You know, when they did uh, at the church I was at you know, when they wanted to do the neighborhood outreach and go knock on people's doors, I was so uncomfortable. Mm. It's like, who wants you showing up at their home unannounced, you know, Hey, we haven't seen you in church in a while. You know, oh, what do, yeah, I'm just, and that stuff just drove me crazy. So, and the more that I learned about it, the less I was convinced that's even what we're supposed to do.
1: So, you know, they yeah, I'm learned, with you there. that'll learn what the lesson of, uh, Marshall McLuhan the medium is the message if you do evangelism like that which I did for some years what you're really telling them is I'm a fanatic wouldn't you like to become one too yes spot on that's (laughs) I think all that we're supposed
0: to do is live our life uh, as stewards of the planet stewards to people and when somebody asks us why we do what we do or what's our motivation or inspiration, you tell them about it. That's it. That's I, you do it through relationships. I mean, if you want to convert people, the only way to do it is to treat them like a human being,
1: you Mm -hmm. know, have
0: a relationship with them and then talk about these things. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like walking in, uh that'd be like a democrat walking into a republican's home. Hey, let me let me get you over on our side. You know, it's yeah. kind of or the other way around. It's like, yeah, no, I'm good. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh but I want to talk a little bit uh about the the fiction work that you do. I I didn't even uh, know when I was preparing for this and I found all of that. I was like that is fantastic. It's uh the the website the uh, what is it the love uh the love lovecraft love, lovecraft yes mm-hmm. yes it, yeah i stumbled across the that website and some of the uh stories and you know i was just like wow this is freaking cool you know cuz mm-hmm. i'm not i'm i'm not a horror guy but i am a psychological horror guy mm-hmm. when it's something that can be real you know, it's possible to happen is when it's like horror to me. You know, you got some big, giant, crazy, outlandish alien or something like that. You know, I'm just like, eh. It's, that's yeah, scary. that's a whole
1: different thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, what got you into that? I mean. Um, I just, uh, when I discovered fantasy literature when I was in junior high, about 1966, I think, um I uh, I, I first started reading the paperback reprints of Robert E. Howard's Conan stories, and shortly thereafter, um, a bunch of other stuff, including H.P. Lovecraft. And uh, these guys were friends and correspondents and both were major writers for the pulp magazine, Weird Tales. And they both maintained a following, especially once their stuff was reprinted in the sixties, they wrote in the twenties and thirties. And um, this just really, both of them captivated my imagination. Uh, And Lovecraft had this gift for, uh, he used an antique, Poe-like style, but sort of made science fiction into horror. Uh, like um, Fritz Leiber, a, a great uh, horror and science fiction writer himself, he uh, said that Lovecraft had created a Copernican revolution in horror so that the the uh, fearsome marvels of science replaced the supernatural as the thing that threatens a human-centered perspective and shows us our utter insignificance in the cosmic scheme of things. And yet, paradoxically, this is what Rudolf Otto described in the idea of the holy, that uh, in the encounter with the numinous, uh, there is this holy terror, as in Isaiah chapter six, woe is me, I am undone. Uh, and Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God and all of this because we realize our insignificance compared to uh to to um the divine and that's kind of the what the monsters in lovecraft represent they're usually off stage it's like someone makes the faustian bargain of plumbing too deeply into ancient knowledge and and it's not so much the physical threat to him as the uh the crushing realization that uh, human beings are not the the top of a ladder and never were, and so on. It's there's a real philosophical subtext to it, and the style is is uh, I don't know. It's just a a fortuitous combination of of uh, the, these great gifts he had to make you think as well as feel and feel by suggestion, uh, mm-hmm. and really great stuff. And so uh, most of my horror fiction is in. The Lovecraft vein. Uh, most of my um, fantasy fiction is more like the Conan stuff of uh, Robert E. Howard and the derivative Thongor um, stories of Lynn Carter, and uh, who was a friend of mine. Uh, and um, so I, I just love writing stories. And cool. some I've done. Uh, I did. I have a collection I published called. Um, Oh horrors and heresies! Yeah. Where, uh, okay. I, yeah, I saw that. That was. And um, that's. Uh, that, I just love doing that. Uh, that kind of stuff. You can like parables. You right. can make points with narrative that you just can't make in discursive uh, um, stuff. That though I like doing that as well.
0: That's a, Yeah. What? <laughs> and that's a great point because that's one of the things you know when a lot of christians talk about you know like we were talking earlier about the literalism of the bible and all of this i'm like wait a minute you do know that there's a reason that, that that there's parables from jesus right it's it's a way to convey a point in a way that can be remembered you know it's not he's not like literally talking about these kind of things it's like hey here is this poetic structure that Mm -hmm. is going to convey this, you know, deep meaning and content. And sometimes it wasn't even really deep, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it was, but in it's in a way that it can be remembered, you know? Mm -hmm. So when they, well, well, that's what Jesus said. And that's what Jesus said. I was like, wait a minute. Even if Jesus didn't say these things, they put them in parables Mm -hmm. in a way to convey the message. So the message is what's important. You know, and that's what gets lost in a lot of it. But you also have a you do a podcast over there on uh, what is it, the Lovelace, Lovecraft, e, Lovecraft yeah, I,
1: Design, or Ezen, or oh, the easing. zine uh, yeah. I used to have something to do with that, but I got canceled. Oh. Um, because of my uh, more conservative political views, and these people are like the red guard, uh, oh. and uh, it's—I uh, it, was excommunicated from the the, uh, the Lovecraft convention. Yeah. Uh, because wow. of the talk I gave about how Lovecraft anticipated the anti-Western, anti-reason sort of a thing that is sweeping the West now. And oh boy, they they told me I could, ne- well, they didn't tell me, they told somebody else who told me that they said I could never speak there again. Uh, whereas wow. I was one of the founders of it. And it's just, this was so, so funny. The same Event, uh, like they would give out a uh, a, a, an award, the Robert Block Award, once every uh, what is it, uh, biennial convention, the Necronomicon or convention. Right. And uh, I uh, was the one who received it this time, but it was the same event that they, they as soon as it was over, basically excommunicated me. So, so I got on the board and booted out by the same people the same uh, oh, Just
0: hilarious. Yeah, it's crazy the political environment that we have now. I mean, you can't. Uh, it's, I hate when they call people on the left liberals. It's oh, like, yeah, they're not. That's not a liberal. They're progressives. You mm-hmm. know, they want to censor people, they want to use the government to censor people. They're not liberals. I'm oh, a classical no liberal. You know, I lean conservative on a lot of views, but I'm, you know, more of a classical liberal, you know, small Mm -hmm. government, uh, Mm -hmm. low taxes, uh, you know, we can help people out without, you know, having to have a bureaucracy to do it. And Mm -hmm. in the the freedom of speech, they don't understand is so important for the backbone of this country. It doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. Mm -hmm. If We can't have, you know, peaceful dissent and we can't have our right to speak, then that is the first, you know, steps into oppression from the government. You can't you can't garner support against, you know, an oppressive government if you can't talk about it.
1: And that's, that's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I I hate what's going on politically. Mm. It just it drives me insane that that nobody seems to have common sense anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. you get labeled as you're either the right or the left. And if you're on the right, you're going to get censored, you know, Mm -hmm. more often than not. Um, You know, unfortunately, on the left, you're going to get, you know, labeled as the crazy progressives that are over there because they are like Nazis, man. (laughs) They just want to shut everybody down if you don't Mm -hmm. agree with them. You know, it's like the... In philosophy, you know, the, somebody, when somebody tells you, you, you know, stop imposing your uh, ideas onto me or your beliefs, and it's like, then why are you imposing yours on me? Mm. Because that's exactly what they're doing, you know? It's like, it's so self-refuting, a lot of the positions that they have. So I hate to hear that, but it doesn't sound like it's really affected your career much, so... <laughs> It's probably Uh, their
1: loss. (laughs) One thing that killed mine, though, was affirmative action. I've been told more than once that somebody else got a job uh, because they had a a racial quota. And uh, in in one of these cases, like this guy uh, who was a Native African, a good guy, uh, he was uh, hired at a college that I was an adjunct at at the time, Uh, To teach African religions and Islam. Well, I was at a party for the department once, and this guy made a comment that, well, you know, uh, Jews and Muslims really agree with each other more than with Christians because uh, Muslims are like Jews. They don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And I thought, Are you kidding? Of course, they do believe he's yeah. the virgin born messiah. They don't believe he's the son of God, They right. don't believe he was crucified, but uh they sure believe uh he was the Messiah. How can this guy not know that That's, and yeah. he was hired to teach uh, mm. so but i I don't uh Uh, Wish it were otherwise. I have settled into an existence that I love. Like when I was full time at this college down here, I loathed having to grade these terrible papers because the kids were not prepared (laughs) for college level work. I hated these boring oh. uh, uh, departmental conferences and all this crap. <laughs> uh, so I, I much prefer what I'm doing now. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm. I don't know how. S- s- I just wish it hadn't given me such frustration there some years ago. You know. Yeah, I have
0: some friends in philosophy who are uh, professors of you know some level or something, and we're in some you know private groups and it's the the comments and and posts on there about uh the their students and Mm. some of the things that they receive is just i'm just like blown away i'm like where did these people come from what Mm. how could you you know there was uh one that they the guy was they literally copied the entire page of wikipedia and turned it in as an assignment. And oh, I just... had stuff like that happen. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. I mean, Nani e- didn't
1: even put it in their own words. They <laughs> just copied. And, be- I don't, and often I had the impression students didn't know they weren't supposed to do that. That's, oh, man. <laughs> and uh, I I came to the point where I would tell my classes, I'm not assigning uh, a, a research paper because I don't think you you're capable of doing it not that you're stupid you're all quite bright <laughs> but 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 education up to this point has failed you and and it's just a useless exercise at this point
0: yeah it's like we're trying to herd people through colleges to say hey mm-hmm. we have this higher standard of uh, education you know and it's like we're trying to meet this to try to it, it would trying to be like number one in the world in college education or something. And they're just shoving people through, you Mm -hmm. know, it's my kids. It's when my parents were in school, my dad used to complain about the grade percentages. What was an A, what was a B, what was a C. Mm -hmm. And now my kids, I'm like, that was an F when I was in school. That wasn't even passing, you know, they've moved it down so low. And I'm just like, and then they even implemented A no zero policy where, yes, it didn't matter if you had unexcused absences. It didn't matter what happened. You couldn't get a zero. And it's like manipulating state numbers. That's that's all it's about is manipulating the numbers for the state, the district, you know, and it's and that's what happens when you make a bureaucracy out of, Mm -hmm. you know, something that was originally designed to be a local institution, you know, to reflect the community, not the state, Hmm. not the federal government. So, but we could go on and on about that. (laughs) So I got one more question for you. Uh, Before you go, I got to know about the uh, figurines.
1: Uh, I admit I am a lunatic. Uh, I started collecting superhero uh, action figures and the like back in, I think, uh, something like 1982, and then there's been a flood of them in recent years, better and better quality and variety and and, and so forth, and then I got into customizing figures and getting friends to, uh, nobody's made a figure of, of this character, uh, how about if you make one, and they, I met these very talented people that should be working for the toy company. Some of them eventually did. And uh, and then I got into to doing it, uh, not as well, but I just find it fascinating. My wife's uh, driven crazy by it, and I'm trying to rein myself in, but uh, I just find them inspiring and fascinating, and it somehow uh, brings the the characters from movies and comic books into a 3d tangible existence i i think all, all of my life since i was a kid i think that was the key to it that they're somehow realer to me if they're in three <laughs> dimensions but I, I just love them and i've got uh um like uh well, here in my study, I've got loads of them on the bookshelves, but I have two whole rooms upstairs filled with hundreds of them wow. in different uh, scenarios and dioramas and so forth. And I'm now uh, giving loads of them away uh, to to friends because uh, it, it really is out of control. But I just absolutely <laughs> love them.
0: That's a, you know what? I, I, am, I am totally happy and stoked to know that and see that because one of the things I miss about when I was a kid was I had He-Man Oh uh, yeah, and I had the wrestlers and stuff. And now mm. I see them today and they have like 15 joints on a that move. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that'd be so cool. Mm-hmm. I'm a grown man. I can't, you know, so, but I do love the figurines myself. So it's, uh, I have it. I, I'm kind of compulsive about things. So I haven't really got into that because I can't, you know, I'll go crazy. Like you, I'll have them everywhere. You know, I'll be customizing them and doing everything else. So uh, I'm glad you're normalizing that for grown men. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Well,
1: are you sure you wouldn't like me to send you a box of them?
0: Oh, you're tempting me now.
1: <laughs> yeah, go ahead. You shall be as gods.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, that uh, that that's some fun times right there. I think I spend enough time in my studio as it is already. Well,
1: because I, uh, I have a bunch to get rid of, and they're in good shape. They're loose figures. I mean, not in the packaging, but various right. no, superheroes yeah. and so on.
0: Yeah, I, I think they'd look right good, good on the wall. I put a little shelf back there.
1: Yeah, yeah. So send me your
0: mailing address. Oh, absolutely. I will not turn down the offer for free figurines. All right. You're helping me out here.
1: Thanks. That's,
0: oh, that's okay. It was a ploy. You got you to gotta clean house and get something out of there. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Dr. Price thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with me. Oh, what a delight. All these. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. I have I've seen you on so many shows. You're you're such a character. I I absolutely love watching the shows that you're on like with Derek all the time. It's uh you seem to love life like Mm -hmm. I do. And Mm. I'm pretty energetic myself too. So Mm. I have to suppress myself quite a bit when I'm on here, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much for coming on. I'm going to send you to the backstage so I can wrap it up and Mm. I will be back there with you in a couple of minutes. Okay. There you go. Dr. Price, man. uh, That was fantastic. I love that conversation. I love Dr. Price. He is a, great character he is he, he loves to have fun and I was excited and looking forward to this show because uh, I knew it was going to be you know not your typical mundane uh, just question and answers not that any of my other guests were they were fantastic too but before I go uh, as always I'd like to give credit to Pasta Mike at Normalizing Atheism for all of the intros the outros all of the logos, thumbnails. Uh, he does everything that he can for me. He's a fantastic guy. Check him out. Uh, normalizing atheism on YouTube. And he has a discussion group on Facebook and thank you guys for watching. And I will see you on the flip side. (laughs)